Welcome back to Halloween Never Dies, a retrospective podcast. I'm your host, Pacey Pete. And I'm Sabina Graves. And we are excited to talk all about Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers and its various cuts. Like, you know, before we talked about TV cuts and, you know, things added to movies later on. But this really is like the, like like mountaintop when it comes to, you know, before we saw Zack Snyder cuts and, and, you know, all these other different movies that were being kind of held out. Like this was like, we're going to talk about a little, little, a little bit later, the white whale of like, you know, uh, producers cuts, Sabina, what what are your quick, just initial thoughts before we bring our guest on? Oh, for sure. You know, like, and honestly, like as we talked about before, like we got to the point of Halloween movies that I'd never seen before and kind of like, Oh man, like how are we going to get through this? Because five was really rough for me, but six I actually enjoyed a lot more than I think the last two in many ways. But um, you know, like we have this sort of idea of the Thorn trilogy coming to a close, and also just how once again there's another multiple version Halloween movie, and and how like this franchise not only started the multiverses, I would say, but also maybe even some these ideas of. You know, like, I mean, it didn't start because, I mean, obviously we have, like, the Donner cut of Superman 2 and stuff, but just how, you know, there is now a space for fans who want to see alternate cuts and how that, you know, is, uh, you know, like, you have the general audience and you have, like, the fandom. And are we going to please both? And how do we do that? So I'm excited yeah. to jump in with our guests. Yeah, we're going to we're gonna talk about Halloween 6. We're going to talk about director's cuts. It's going to be a lot of fun. Let's get going. So excited to talk to our guest today, Brandon. How are you? Welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm super duper excited to be a part of this wonderful yes. show that I've been enjoying and about something that I love so much. Oh my much. gosh. You got to tell the people what you do. We actually guess started talking um, about even just Halloween. And so when I was talking about this project, you were excited to jump in whenever you could. I was like, Sabina's doing a Halloween co- uh, contest. <laughs> ah! podcast i was like oh my gosh i was like you don't have to ask me but i if you have a name in the hat i'll put my name in there so and here i am pulled my name from the hat yeah so uh, i'm a podcaster uh i have my own show called the brandon peters show which started uh september of last year so it's getting close to being a year i had uh retired my show of five years the multiple award-winning cult cinema cavalcade because uh, it was time to move on for me, and I've been enjoying this new show where it kind of has a silly name because it's just me, so I can do whatever I want under my own umbrella. I don't have to stick to horror where I get pinned a lot, or cult movies where I get pinned, or you know things like that. So if I want to talk something random, uh, like I could probably talk about sports, and it counts. If I want to <laughs> yeah. go to ball stuff. And we talked about soundtracks on the last thing I just jumped on. Yeah, it was so much fun. I mean, the soundtrack. Yeah, that was a good one. And I had a I had a follow up to that with a a needle drop episode where I was going to people talking about needle drops. And then Patrick Williams, if you're familiar with him, he did a whole essay on that. I'm like, I'll look like I'm copying because it was I was it was like going to be like three weeks after that. And I was like, I'm just going to look like I'm copying or I got inspired by him. But no, you should still do it. I think needle drops are so. Yeah, I'll do it. I just I. I bumped it down the road. But yeah, the show talks about mainly I'm movie guy. So there's a lot of movies. But you get like every week you get like movies, uh, TV and uh, music. So Monday I have a guest 
and the guests and I talk about them a bit. And then we talk about a movie that I usually tell them to pick something that is either an odd favorite or that they found inspiring at some point in life. Because I think it's uh, always interesting to hear film writers and creators talk about the ones that, you know, they kind of either champion or got them over a certain hump or to a place. And I would like it was inspired because I, I liked, I really loved the commentary uh, Ryan Johnson did for The Last Jedi. And just hearing him, I'm like, I, I, I don't want to, I could, I could listen to this guy talk about movies instead of making them and be just as happy almost because he was just love listening to his knowledge. And I wanted to kind of bring that feel to a podcast. So we do that. And then on like Wednesday, I have a thing called Old Space Show where we talk about just an old genre show that's kind of long gone forgotten episode by episode. And you get that once a week. It's shorter segments. And then on Friday, we talk, the guest from Monday and I talk about a music video from the 80s or the 90s. And people really like that because there's not a lot of music video you know, podcasts or YouTube things. And uh, then sometimes I do my, I write for whysoblue.com. I do Blu-ray reviews. Sometimes if I get a big stack, I'll do a video unboxing those. I think it's boring, but people love it. So that's fine. And then, you know, I have a on Out Now with Aaron and Abe is a show I do a monthly commentary for, and we are now streamlining between our two podcasts, those commentaries. Uh, and then I do these silly promo videos, and somehow, somehow I work a full-time job and parent at the same time and eat. Amazing, yes. <laughs> I need to get better at eating. I've not eaten today, but <laughs> yeah. it's on my list. I got gluten-free chicken nuggies, and they are calling yeah. my name. <laughs> <laughs> right. Nice. Nice. But, uh, yeah, I'm just living a dream of an idea I had years ago with my producer Brad Shoemaker, Creative Zombie Studios, and I told him I'm like, what if you had a podcast that was like your morning radio? Because every time you get in your car, you get the same people. You get to enjoy hanging out with them in the morning uh, or in the afternoon drive, and when we would drive places back in the day. And, uh, and I was like, what if you did with a podcast? Like it didn't have to be long or something like that. And it was kind of, this is kind of me. It's not quite the vision I had for it. I'd have to like go all in and just, you know, starving artist myself to it, uh, to do what I really want to do, but, um, trying to do that. So if you could have a podcaster, um, but I'm learning, you know, I don't know if it's stacking up too much for people, if they get behind or, you know, just the content or, but it's, not it's not like two hour episodes every day it's like the first one's like an be like an hour and then like 15 minutes 15 minutes you know something for a drive but coming coming from the land of traffic i can assure you i'm sure people will like that back catalog here yeah. i live near the 405 and like trekking mm -hmm. across the cities here it's it's really good to have like something to listen to and, and that, yeah. the vibe is amazing so i'm so excited to have you on right unintentional consequence of that i have like multiple different fan bases of different things. I, I just figured, oh, people listen to me. No, I have specific like people who only do the music videos who only do this. So if I were to get rid of one of them, I'd have angry people. So I don't know what to do, but yeah. That's awesome, Brent. It's it's uh, so good to hear your varied interest and in, and in, you know, what you do. And then I already know we're going to get along. Um, you know, you, obviously our, our listeners can't see it, but in the background, he's got an escape from New York poster. And I was actually just showing him some artwork I got recently that I want to get framed. So we're already on the same wavelength, and then I'm already, you know, I'm rocking my snake, my right? uh, my snake Pliskin shirt. So uh, I brought a friend for the microphone <laughs> for, for it. I love um, it. I love and it. And I want to mention this. This isn't like my favorite Halloween movie or anything. I just like the <laughs> I like the poster. I think it's one of the best ones because it's got the ma the mask. Yeah, it's got Daniel Harris. 
So I just want to mention, even though they can't see it. How does the mask look better on that poster than in the movie? <laughs> the <laughs> Halloween five poster. Right. They had so many issues with the mask in that movie. It's, oh my goodness. I know we, we talked about it in the last episode, but God, it's just, it's, it's hilarious when you read into like the backstories and the, and the production and how like certain scenes had like a different mask. And if you pause mm-hmm. it at a certain angle, like it looks pink or yellow. It just, it's, it's crazy. Right, Brandon? It's- right, right. No, I mean, there was forever. There was the scene in Halloween four where he had the yellow hair and everybody's like, what was that? What was that? And it was actually, they tested, they used the mask from the original Halloween in that scene and it hadn't aged well and didn't shoot well on camera and it got left in in the edit. And I think they probably got to the point where it's like, suck it up and just put it in there. Like, we need this transition. We're not putting any more money in this. Use it. And <laughs> Well, you know, it's it's funny. I feel like with Halloween 2, we talked a little bit about added scenes for theatrical versions, for TV versions. Mm-hmm. You know, as we've gone through each movie, it's had its share of fair share of production issues, right? You know, Mm -hmm. what they wanted in, what ended up on the cutting floor, you know, what was envisioned, you know, and didn't happen. But I feel like long before we had this Zack Snyder issue with Justice League, there was Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers, which people don't know. Like a lot of people don't know unless you're like a hardcore Halloween fan like we are. There are two versions of this movie. Now, you have all there's three. Sorry, I'm being corrected. Please, Brandon, correct me because I only know of the two. I by, I by no means am going to call myself a hardcore Halloween fan because I've learned through the series <laughs> of this podcast that I was like, oh, <laughs> there, there, there's so much. There's a direct there's a director's cut. Um, it's very similar to the theatrical cut, but okay. it includes some extra gore. OK. And a and couple couple lines here and there. Um, it's not that different, but that showed up in like the mid 2000s. Okay. Um, and like, like the part where he pushes the person's face in the gate, you yeah. see the face fall, fall nice. on the floor. Oh, really? Hit the floor. Yeah. Whereas in the theatrical or even in the producer's cut, you just see him push it. A, well, actually, is that even in the producer's cut? No. No. It is, right? It's not. No, it's that just was, that was added. Yeah. That was yeah. added. That was mm-hmm. added. Oh, my sorry, goodness. Sorry so, to be the guy. No, no, no. But, please. Like, yeah. I want to, you know. <laughs> I, I, I want to make sure like everyone gets the right information here, you know, because right. there's so much misinformation with these movies as far as like what you find and see. Because a lot of people, they don't know that what they see on screen might not be what was either uh, not intended or or even what the director or producer originally wanted because the studio came in and politics happen and business suits happen and everything completely changed, which is exactly what happened in this movie because, Mm -hmm. you know, they had this whole idea in mind. It's, it's, you know, let's just jump right into it. Basically uh, they, in the theatrical cut, they basically cut all the loose ends from Halloween four and five by killing off Jamie Lloyd's character in like the, what the first 10 minutes of the movie. And it's almost like them saying, um, we don't want anything to do with this, even though there's a man in black and we have, you know, this cult that is running around and they're controlling Michael Myers. It's just, it's, it's this, and this is just a theatrical cut, right? Like it's, it's really crazy. I mean, Brandon, what do you think of, of how they tried to make the theatrical cut work? Because there's so much going on. There's, it's so convoluted. And then even the way the movie ends is, 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 is just so like bananas, right? Well, Let's go back to 1995. Yes. Just jump on a DeLorean, guys. I was so hyped for this movie, okay? I 
I went and saw movies because the trailer for this was attached to it. I I copied a Children of the Corn movie direct TV video, like illegally copied VHS because it had the trailer that was Halloween 666, the origin of Michael Myers title on what? it. Like I was the, the hype for this movie for, for me was unreal because this was the first time I was going to see Michael Myers on the big screen. Mm-hmm. And I think it gets uh, uh, lesser known because you look back at it now and it's like this failed movie, but there was real hype. Like Entertainment Tonight was doing set reports, interviews with uh, Donald Pleasance. Um, there was a TV special on Fox. It was like, it was more of a scary movie special, but it was meant to buffer up Halloween because they showed the scene where Nancy Darby gets killed uh, in that special. And so I went and saw it. And this is before we knew there was production problems. And I thought I, I left the theater. I was like, did I not pay close enough attention? Did I, did I not get something there? There was something I, I need to see that again because I, I didn't. And no, it was just a mess of a movie, but I thought it was some David Lynch stuff going on where I was like, maybe I, I need to see it. But I was also at the time I was 13 years old. So I, I just thought I was like, oh, well, they, you know, they wouldn't mess this up. So like, there's just something I'm not getting. No, no. <laughs> um, and watching it now and it's, it's, uh, yeah, they, they've <laughs> hackneyed it up. It, it already, the producer's cut already had some problems with logic and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And the theatrical cut just, I don't know, without, no words. I, I'm so tied, <laughs> I'm so tied to the producer's cut, my history with that. Yeah. I'm sure I'll share here in a bit or whatever that I look at the theatrical cut differently now because I actually spent more years just disowning the theatrical cut mm. and having the producer's cut as my Halloween six. And I was of the church of the producer's cut converting people all the time. I would, I, I, I have another visual aid. I'm sorry, this is podcasting. <laughs> I have my visual aid, but I, I, I have this still it's a, even though this is on Blu-ray now and I can watch it cleanly. I still, this is a That's precious awesome. item to me because I went through hell to get this back in like 1996. <laughs> and like, I, I have apologized to this man via an article I wrote long ago, but I had to trade what I, he wanted the director's cut of Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, which Anchor okay. Bay put out a faux release saying it was a director's cut and it was the theatrical cut. Kind of knew that, but I traded him for this. He wrote me an angry email. Sorry, but you made this guy's day, his life. <laughs> and so I've had this crappy, scummy copy, copy, and I took it to college, and I would like show people. I'm like, no, dude, Halloween 6 is good. You just didn't see the right cut. <laughs> so, yeah, so it's hard for me to look back on the thing. So I only reintroduced myself to the theatrical cut like when it came to, like, or no, like DVD or something like that. And I was just like, eh. But now I watch them about evenly. Part of your patronage through this series is you got to watch Halloween 6 mm-hmm. twice. <laughs> I totally agree. Um, Sabina, what are your thoughts on the theatrical cut? I mean, it's it's a mess. We're going to get into the differences between this and the producer's cut. But what are your just initial thoughts on how it connected to four and five? Because it's kind of known as like a trilogy, right? Like its own little trilogy with re- with return, revenge, and now curse. What are your thoughts on 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 Halloween Six? I truly feel like uh, it's the first time I've I've seen this the Thorn trilogy. Honestly. Um, like 1995 for me, I was a child. <laughs> so I like I'm trying to rack my brain to, to think if I have even saw any like trailers or commercials for it. I don't think I did. Um, but one of the things that really stuck out to me about this one is 
its use of sort of like the quick cuts for some of the like brutal scenes. And um, I had just seen um, Spiral over the weekend and it makes me wonder, and I know y'all probably are more informed about this than I am. Um, was that one of the original like movies from the 90s that kind of maybe started that trend of like almost the music video like horror cuts of the violence? Because I saw that a lot in Spiral as well, like kind of very similarly shot. And uh, that kind of was like, well, is that something that still like has continued on as opposed to like just the just the like a scene unfolding? It's these like just quick sort of like shots in like score jumping out at you. Hmm. I can't recall. Joe Chappelle, didn't he get his start in music videos? No, I know he had like a independent film. Oh, oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. Mm -hmm. That's one of the things I like on its own. I don't know if I like it as a part of the movie, but I really like the effect of it, the scream and the mashup with the uh, footage from the producer's cut (laughs) thrown in there. But yeah, I don't yeah. know where that originates. Yeah, and it made me wonder if that was like maybe one of the the movies that, you know, directors that are working now might have like seen and been like, oh, I like that approach in, in framing uh, the horror in, in like those quick cut sort of violent ways. Because um, it definitely like was really like stuck out to me while I was watching it, having just seen Spiral. Um, but yeah, no, this, the, ah, this movie, <laughs> it was... Very challenging to watch. Not as challenging as Halloween 5. Um, mostly because of Paul Stephen Rudd. <laughs> and um, Ant-Man, Ant-Man in the, in the house. house. Which, bizarrely, <laughs> his Ant-Man ex-wife is canon in Halloween. What? What? So, you know, think, thankfully we have Judy Greer as a lead now, which is amazing. But... Uh, Going back to the now no longer canon timeline, yeah, Paul Rudd in this as Tommy was wild. Uh, he made some choices and <laughs> they were very interesting. The, you have like Jamie being written out really quickly um, in, in ways that were very questionable. And honestly, th- this just kind of. Yeah, like I don't I, I was just baffled most of the time while watching it, honestly, and um felt very just I don't know, like it was weird. It was for sure weird. I'm excited to just dig in with you guys. Yeah, it's it's I actually want to talk a second a little bit about the Jamie Lloyd character because it's almost like there was like a trend developing had this franchise had this timeline kept going because in part five you kill off Rachel, right? Who was like the strong final girl from Halloween four. Um, and she's killed like in the first like 10 minutes of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, and then she was like a big part of the movie. And then this mm-hmm. unintentional trend that started. Yeah. She's gone. Like it just, it, it was kind of frustrating because you don't have that carryover. And then you kind of, and then you do the same thing to like a pivotal character, like the Jamie Lloyd character. And, and, and that's the thing. And even in both theatrical and the producer cut, like, you know, she lasts a little bit longer in the producer's cut, but then she just dies by a bullet in the head while she's asleep in the hospital. The it's producer's just like, cut, Jamie, was <laughs> brutalized. I was just like, I feel so sad. Whereas in the theatrical cut, it just, I guess, like, it just felt very just non-consequential, her dying, I guess. Yeah. Uh, well, Jamie... Jamie was a bit more of the film in earlier drafts. Like she was supposed to have something happen and early on and then surprise show up to save everybody in the end and sacrifice herself. That was, 
that was what more of her part would have been. And you had the Akkad side of things that was all about legacy, lore, all stuff like that. And then you had the Weinsteins that wanted to do their, their own thing with it. So you have this movie is a push pull between two sides that own the same property. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of tales now of people. <laughs> Weinstein's telling you, you want to work in this business? You with us or you with them? And a lot of people left this project because of just, I'm not being in the middle of this. And Joe Chappelle gets a lot of flack or has been from like fan base and stuff. And I don't really think it's completely warranted. Um, I think he does what he can with this. I think he's got a nice touch. Him and Bill Dixon work really well, which Bill Dixon came from a different director and stayed on the project. But um, Chappelle is, was new he was trying to work between two, a studio that was the Weinsteins, Miramax making things. Here's other projects or, you know, and just trying to get a film done and not trying. He was trying to not piss people off while also trying to appease money people. So that's your issues there. But Jamie comes with that where no one cares. Daniel Harris goes through hell to get be a part of this movie and then has to just she can't. Because she got emancipated from her family to try to be in this movie. Yeah, no, I was I was reading about that. She she got emancipated, and it cost her and more money like, to emancipate herself than what they were offering to pay her. Right, and it's a mistake. And Mal- Malika Kat- Cod says it was a mistake as well, which easy for him to say in hindsight. But he was yeah. on the pr- he was on this production too, so yeah. and, and that was like a Weinstein of things decision, right? Like that was yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yep, yeah, totally. Totally. And I think Danielle understands that because she was still friends with the Akash. She still does things with them and mm-hmm. she show, comes back when they're producing the Rob Zombie films. So, yeah. And she, well, I, I saw an interview here, uh, too where she said that she'll never forget how when she spoke to somebody about trying to get more money for her role, they said, You're, uh, yeah, I, I'm not going to butcher what she said, but basically it was something to the effect of, You're only in the movie for like, five minutes you're mm-hmm. gonna get killed we're not paying you more than than what you're asking for after they told her to emancipate herself she went through all this and they were like okay but we're still not gonna pay you this much money which is terrible right, right? which is so bad no it's horrible but now you have fan bases and stuff that lead the, like that would have been their first thing to lock down nowadays mm-hmm. that's how different things even if she was just an opening scene kill they'd have locked exactly. that down they should just reshoot it, honestly, with with her. Like she she's now she's very believable as that age. And honestly, Paul Rudd hasn't aged. So just, you know, do those well, scenes. It, it, <laughs> here, here, here's the thing. Every 10 years with Halloween, you get Jamie Lee Curtis. And then the next 10 years, you get Daniel Harris back. So <laughs> in 2028, we're going to get the since we can dodge continuity again. Maybe we'll get the the redone sequel to four. Uh, in 2028 with Daniel Harris because it's her turn to come yes. back. Because Halloween, got shot in the one head, thing they love to do, put in a coma yes. because she got shot in the head and wakes up like <laughs> a long comatose state. <laughs> she has a pretty crappy life. <laughs> yeah, we really need to take a moment to uh, pour one out for Jamie Lloyd because she went through hell. I mean, born into tragedy, her mom dies quote unquote uh her uncle's after her to kill her and and then uh she is off in two different ways you know so it's just like she right after having her child like like she's off in two different ways and also i was high key disturbed 
at like her being kidnapped to birth the child of her uncle <laughs> and i was like that was oh, listen the producers kept on Halloween six and then we'll get into it like in a bit i i it's was a choice. like the choices there at least said some stuff and i was like you know what i i i am like disturbed by these choices but that is like m- makes a bit more sense than what we got in the theatrical where it was like oh they he they put a clone in her or something i was like mm. well it was supposed to the original i guess the original script was dr win it was supposed to be his but somebody said no it's going to be michael which <laughs> It's disturbing. It does. It has to. It, it is. But I know it's so cringy, right? It's so cringy. I get what they're going for, like Rosemary's Baby type yeah. stuff, where you're supposed mm-hmm. to be like icky. Congrats, I feel icky, but <laughs> it, it worked. It worked basically. Is that the one where he bones his niece? Oh, okay. Halloween <laughs> yeah, six saw that one. Yep. That's oh what we could have had for years and years and years. I mean, it's you know, at its core, the producer's cut tries to invoke. Halloween, you know, the very first movie, the way mm-hmm. it paces, the way the music plays at certain points. Like I was, I was, I was watching the producer's cut and actually going back to the theatrical cut and like comparing scenes where the original music was playing over certain parts of the movie. Mm-hmm. I was like, wait, did this play in the, the- theatrical? And like, there's like, like, uh, well, Paul Rudd's character is walking around the train station, right? You have the classic, uh, background Halloween mm-hmm. score playing, and then I, when you go to the theatrical cut, it's it's completely quiet. And so it's it's what I do appreciate is how they did try to, you know, they wanted that John Carpenter Deborah Hill feel right in Curse. Well, it's it, the producer's cut is still not a finished film because the music in it is a temp track and using the the see the music from the original Halloween just to put in spots for a test. Oh, I didn't screen. know that. Yeah, it's it's still a test screening cut. That's what it okay. is. Like they never so after that test screening, th- it doesn't go well. They freak out. They want to reshoot, and so th- that music, the score was never finalized. So the score is probably going to be similar to the theatrical cut because Howarth was getting really into electric guitar stuff, mm-hmm. um, which I don't think fully works. And um, yeah, so they just temp tracked that. So and they never finished it because. It got dumped, so that we are, the what the cut we were left with is still unfinished because um, it doesn't have sound effects fully. Because uh, mm-hmm. like there's a scene where Tim Strode, uh, when his girlfriend first shows up at the house, and he goes to like he doesn't come out the front door with everybody because he's got to jump scare her. There's nothing there in yeah. the, the producer's cut and the theatrical cut. Like, ha babe, babe, like. It's one of those. So it's missing that stuff, but it is really eerie how, why don't we just use the original score for all these movies? It still works. Yeah. It's, I'm glad you say that. And clearly I'm not hardcore fan. I thought I didn't realize that was not uh, a finished uh, product, but just, you know, because there's so many shots too in the movie that kind of harken back to Halloween, right? When when the producers cut the way that uh, John Strode is killed is very similar to Bob in the kitchen in the first movie, right? And even when he kills Barry Sims in the hospital, you could actually say that's similar to the friend that gets killed in the car, Linda. Oh, or Annie. Or, Annie, or Annie yeah. gets yeah, killed Annie, in the yeah. hospital. Like mm-hmm. you could kind of say, you could kind of see similarities. Like in like when they pull back, from that, from the windshield, it, it kind of reminded me a little yeah. bit of of when he kills Annie in in the car. Well, there's also when he kills um, Kara's mom, uh, and she's outside, and she goes through all the 
the, the sheets, the yeah. Clotheslines with the sheets. That's the vision. If that's where you know, in the first one, when Lori looks out the window, Michael's standing in the sheets. That's you down there in the sheets from where Lori saw. So that's kind of a mm-hmm. homage to that. That's what happened if he killed somebody during that moment. And I also want to talk about like, uh, you know, Donald Pleasance and how, you know, it's really unfortunate. Like I remember when the news broke that he passed away mm-hmm. and because they were still filming the movie and, well, and no, they, they, they finished, they wrapped or they finished with the principal photography. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, well, I mean, they do you think they would have come back though for like reshoots and stuff like that? And, and there probably would have been pickups. Yeah. yeah Every pickups, movie yeah. has it, but yeah. Yeah. But it's just like unfortunate because it, it just feels like it, it is an unfinished movie, right? The producer's mm-hmm. cut. Mm-hmm. And even there are scenes in the movie you're watching that just kind of feel disjointed with conversations that when and Loomis are having, you know, and, mm-hmm. and it just, it just, I don't know. It just feels kind of off and awkward. I don't know. What do you, what is your take on the Loomis character where he's at in Halloween six, Brandon, and where, you know, he had come from in parts four and five. Well, I kind of like it's He's tamer. I think this is possibly Pleasant's best performance in the character since yeah. the original, because he's not high camp. Like once you get to two, he's not just screaming in a child's face. Right. He go, it, it gets to a peak level in five of just opera and quotables, but here he's calmed. He has really good. Uh, he's really he want. You can tell he wants to be there. Like that's the one thing you can see on screen. He really like in his press tour. He loved this script. Like he wasn't going to do one after five. Like he was. He is drunk in his trailer a bunch during five, and then uh, he comes back for this one and had nothing to but praises to sing with it. A lot of people like Daniel Farron's original script. They were going with that to shoot. They were happy, but then it became nothing of what it was supposed to be. Have you read that original draft of the script? I've gone, I I had a couple of them long ago. Um, Stuff got held over for uh, Halloween H2O that didn't get used there. Like this one. So it's funny. Um, Halloween and I know I'm in the Loomis thing, but Halloween and James Bond are, have a lot of really weird similarities in that they're both owned by families and they also will take ideas in films and they go, ah, we're not going to do it this time, but maybe next time we'll throw it in there. Maybe next time. Um, and there's, there was like a, a scene that was supposed to end with a helicopter, big woo finale. And uh, the helicopter thing got moved to what would be Halloween H2O. And Michael's head was going to get cut off with a helicopter blade, but too much money. So, um, but that was an idea here that moved to there. That Dr. Wynn was going to escape on a helicopter like Whoa, with a, with uh, Danny or the baby, I can't remember which one. Um, and then when they were escaping, Michael was in the back of the car. Um, those are some of the ideas. Did it have a more like um, solidified goodbye to Loomis? Because I, I read that you know he was he was on board mm-hmm. because of that script, you know, and and we got in the yeah. in both the theatrical and producers cut, we got like that cliffhanger sort of thing with in two two different right. ways. Uh, was there like more of a like? you know, like his, like he wanted to just bow out in, in that role. No, I think he wanted to do more. Like he, he liked the direction. He was going to oh. do something different because it, when he filmed it, he was going to be the man yeah, in black yeah, actor like- or something. So it was going to be a, a different thing. But I mean, regardless, this script, anyway, any form is like, it's the first like fan fiction movie ever made. Like it is, we call them Easter eggs now, but this is like just, some guy on a message board wrote a Halloween script, the movie like it's, it's got a lot of weird, weird stuff on it. Um, and I'm not, 
I liked it. I like, you know, that whole like, oh, I know that. I know that. <laughs> I know that stuff. But it's fun. They have Strodes living in the Myers house. You've got, uh, it mentions Russellville from the first movie where uh, the, the the caretaker of the cemetery started, oh, Charlie Bowles from Russellville. Christopher's wife, yeah, it mentions that. Um, Mrs. Blankenship ties it to Halloween 3 because uh, that's who um, Tom Atkins' girl, uh, what was her name? Stacey Nelkin's character, her father was supposed to meet a Mrs. Blankenship and he disappeared. Oh, that would have been like, because like one of the things we talked about a lot on the podcast. That's the old woman across the street, yeah. the deaf across the street. Like, yeah. There should have been a way to tie, you know, Silver Shamrock and mm-hmm. like the Celtic sort of stuff that they were messing with then right. uh, into like the series. It would have made sense. I love it. Right. He was going to have, he wanted Halloween 3 playing on TVs in this movie, but Weinsteins weren't going to pony up to Universal to get those rights to show it. Um, because he wanted it to be a handshake with uh, Halloween 3. There's just so much stuff that's like wishy-washy fan stuff. And it's like there's a difference between movie filmmakers and fans. And some and you have to... You could be a fan and a filmmaker at the same time. But you've got to know what works on film. And what works for audiences and stuff. Rather than just be like fan, fan service all the time. Which this movie is pretty close to that. But I, I still think... It's not way it, it it's toward the bottom of the Halloweens, but I still think it has a lot to offer. I think it's got one of the best the best looks since Cundy was behind the oh, camera. Sure. Like like I really like the it really feels fall. Uh really feels nineties grunge. Um Oh god, totally. Totally. But yeah, I, I I think it's got a lot going. It's got it's got a great cast, uh well acted, uh focusing on adults, not high schoolers, especially after the last one, it's good to get away from the high schoolers. Yeah, I was reading something that said that, uh, I, interestingly enough, during that time, um, when Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street had come out with their installments, they were both, the focus of the final girl was a single mom. Yeah. Which I, I, I don't, you know, it's it's interesting. Is it, I gotta ask you, Brandon, is that one of those things where there's communications and, and maybe somebody's inspired by another person? Or is that just, a, is that just an act of... of serendipity sometimes ideas float around through the same heads at the same time all around like i i had a weird thing when i lived in los angeles i was wondering if i was bugged because i would have conversations and then that week on family guy a joke would happen about that super specific conversation and be like that's really odd how did that you were sitting next to someone at a coffee shop who were on the show brandon (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or someone in my work was actually writing for the show. But yeah, there's the single mother. And this is also this is also the time when they decided with the slashers, because 89 starts the decline of the slasher until the, the next year after this was Scream. They were all like, well, now it's time to explain the secret origins of the evil. And they all, that Jason did it, Freddie did it, Pinhead does it the year after uh, Michael. And they all go for these mythology, weird things. There's like, this used to be just a guy went around in a knife and stabbed people. Like, uh, but they all wanted to go for that. That was the big thing they had to sell on was the secrets. Um, And your mileage may vary if you want to buy into that mythology. Yeah, I feel like with horror movies, you know, it it feels like there's gets to a point where it's like, we got to do something to keep people coming back. We have to evolve the franchise in some Mm -hmm. way. And I think it was just at this time, they were like, okay, let's just jump into this cult uh, that we have going on. It's, 
it's you know i know sabine you said it me mentioned it earlier we talked about this how it's too bad like they didn't really lean into the the celtic cult thing and and i mean because that could have like connected to to everything with michael going on with the masks that we saw in halloween 3 like brandon what are your thoughts on that like i know we're kind of like playing fan theory here but you know connecting all those together to make them actually a cohesive like arc and the producer's cut like leans more into that and i I enjoyed that aspect Mm -hmm. of it well the the celtic stuff goes like it's a so the halloween the original movie novelization had a four or like an uh, introductory chapter about the evil, like trying to explain this stuff about the evils of Celtic Halloween that had nothing to do with the rest of the book, but people like Dan Farrens wanted to incorporate that. There's other scripts that were supposed to be this movie that incorporated that. And I think what we got, say what you will, it's better than what they could have been gone with and almost shot with. Like there was, there was a script that was like, you have to push him into the closet of his house uh, between one, uh, 12 and 1 uh, on Halloween night, and then the evil's gone forever. Like, we could have been with that. We could have had another yeah. long-lost sister. Like, there was, there's some bad stuff that they almost went ahead with. But the Celtics, yeah, like, I always thought, why not tie it into Hall- forever Halloween 3? Though, it scared Mustafa Akkad to death. Like, it was, like, it was just this greatest failure. And like they wanted to go, they after H two O they they wanted to go uh, with a Halloween anthology thing again. He's like, you remember Halloween three? We <laughs> we failed, and then we got the best one. So um, yeah, it, it I I'm for it. Um, done in right ways. And to me, when I was younger, this movie was a lot more interesting than when I get older and more knowledgeable and go, mm, yeah, it's messy. It's messy. But, yeah, I feel like I, I, I totally like it's it feels like Halloween three, like scarred a cod for life. Like he yeah. was, you know, and I and I and I kind of feel like, you know, that was one of the re- I don't know. I'm, I'm totally guessing here, obviously. But it, it I feel like with the Jamie storyline from Halloween four to five, where they were kind of setting her up to be the new Michael Myers. Like, I almost feel like a cod was like, no, no, no. The last time we did something different, it screwed us. And and we lost a ton of money, and it just didn't mm-hmm. go well. So I must feel like they're using that excuse to not push the envelope with certain things. Like I think had they put had they put Jamie as the new mm-hmm. Michael Myers, they could have opened up a whole new right. you know world with things that uh, not necessarily. I mean, you could have brought maybe in. They weren't ready for that yet, you know. <laughs> no, I guess no, no, no. Like no. Same with Jamie being the next like Michael Myers. They weren't ready for that then. And, Mm -hmm. you know, like, I feel like the time is now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he is the he's the best and the worst thing for the franchise Mm because it doesn't get a go in bold directions because he pulls it back. His idea of creativity is sometimes it's not the greatest, but he keeps it alive. He keeps championing. He keeps it big. Halloween for some reason, Halloween over the other ones has always had this air of prestige over it. Like every time there's a new Halloween, it's a big deal. Every time there's a new Friday the 13th, it's like another one of these to, to the press, the public. Now, fandom rules all, so it's not always an exciting report. But back back in the day, it was like, oh, another one of these. But Michael always had, I think it's probably because the first film is the best of them all. Like uh, the original Halloween, yeah, like I always say, Michael has the best original film. Uh, Freddy's got the best, like, series canon that isn't wish like it's a nice solid story and jason's got the one you can just hop into if you pick one and watch and you're satisfied so that's in the leather face 
watch the first one. Um, I can, <laughs> I like the second one. Um, it's yeah, it's an interesting thing that Texas area, but, uh, but yeah, like he, he keeps it prestigious all the way through, but I don't, I don't know if, yeah, like I was a big Mustafa kid. Cause he's like, yeah, he cares. He cares. He cares. And then when I learned more about filmmaking, get more into that, like, I'm like, I don't know if you were making the right choices, bud. You're really protective of your, your guy. Like, you know, he destroys, you're getting up to where he destroys one of the best slasher endings of all time because he wants to make more money. It's, it's so funny. There's all these little tidbits too, in the movie, right? There's mm-hmm. like, uh, there was the shock jock, right? Mary Sims, Mary Sims. Thank you. Who was based on Howard Stern at the time. Mm-hmm. They had actually hoped he could come on the movie. He declined, and and I believe there was like even a little push to get Mike Mike uh, Mike Myers, the comedian, right, to play the role. But they they quickly <laughs> shunned that idea. Mm-hmm. And I think you know we're getting a little too on the nose for that one. I think that was the thinking. There was also one of the writers uh, of uh, before Dan Farren's that uh, he got a call late night working on a script from Mustafa, and he said, "Hey, you think you could uh, write a uh, write a part for Tanya Harding in this?" And he's like. Uh, no, I, I don't think I so. I did not like, know that. Are you serious? Yeah. And he's like, see what you can do. But then he said he never heard about it again. But I was like, wow. There's jumping the shark. And then people there's who that. Make movies be crazy. <laughs> Rich people who make movies are crazy sometimes. Like it that. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Wow. I didn't know yeah. that. That's crazy. Yeah. That's yeah. wow. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. And, and Dan Ferris, the writer, we must mention, he first met. Mustafa about it in 1990 and he gave, he had a series Bible. He wrote work. He's famed for coming out of Halloween five saying, I'm going to write the next Halloween. And he actually got in, he got in with a cod gives him this Bible that he kept to, to the day he died and like would give to writers to help them with screenwriting. And then when it got to just not agreeing with the Weinsteins, he brings final, have that guy come back that wrote the Bible and write this thing. And he got the job like years later, but they had a, they had an ownership battle with, um, cause the rights went up or something and Mustafa didn't realize he didn't have the rights. So he had to partner up with Weinstein. That's where he got in a bidding war against John Carpenter and new line for it. Yeah. Yeah. And also I wanted to bring up how I want to say it is, as it has been documented that Carpenter had thrown the idea around of sending Michael Myers into space. And that mm-hmm. is actually referenced in the movie as a joke. Yeah. And then ironically, Years later, who do they send to space? Jason. So it's kind yes. of funny how that all worked. You know, we're talking about how writers have the same mindset. Now, that was something that was around. So it's very possible that they took that idea and just, you know, we're like, let's have some campy fun with Jason Voorhees and send him to space, cryogenically freeze him, and uh, let's fast forward the movie mm-hmm. one or 200 years or whatever and put him in the future. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, and I think Carpenter made that comment again uh, when he left uh, Halloween H2O. Uh, said, well, I wanted to put him in the space. And I said, no, <laughs> but it was really, he was really pay me what you owe me and yeah. then I'll do that. And then we'll talk my new contract that, but that's why he walks from there. But yeah, it, um, but yeah, this one goes through all the stuff like, and this, this movie, I, I gotta say, we would dog the plot. We, it is what it is, but this movie is like super important in my life for some odd reason because, you know, it was the first one I saw on the big screen, but it also taught me so much about the movie making process that I never, uh, it opened a new door that I'd never seen before of these test screenings. You could, 
a lot about editing, you could change a movie completely because these things are two completely different entities when you see them. And it shocks people. You're like, it can't be that different. It is way different. And I learned about like, because I saw the movie is confused. And then Fangoria wrote a report like a month after it came out. I was like, nothing we saw on the set visit was in this movie. There was all this. Wow. And they showed pictures. They're yeah. like, they were like, we took these pictures on set. Something happened. And they started the story. I was... AOL uh, AOL uh, chat room Halloween chat room guy. I, we were talking it up. I I had a Halloween uh, board. You I need flashbacks, I had my, man. I had my I had my own <laughs> Halloween site. I mean, and we were trying to get the bottom. And then somebody somehow it got out there, and then someone wrote up all the differences. And I read it like I was trying to visualize it because I, I didn't know I could get the where I could get copy. Someone took like crappy pictures of their VHS. I'm like, how do I get this thing? How do I get this thing? And it took me a while and I finally landed the thing. And, but yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a, it was an experience going through Halloween. And then the years of, they're going to finally put it out on DVD. Are they going to put it out on Blu-ray? And I don't think they realized there was such strong interest until uh, there was a, I think Brian Collins did a 20th anniversary screening at the new Beverly for the Halloween six. And, um, there's like zero interest in tickets and he was having Dan Farrens come to talk and he was like, and Dan's like, you want me to see if I can get Malek to get the producer's cut and show that instead? And he's like, that, that exists. Like you can, you, you have the reels. And he's like, yeah, Malek, Malek's got it in his thing. And, and he's like, okay, yeah, Malek's got, Malek's got it. So then he's like, okay, it's now the producer's cut sold out in like 10 minutes. And then they're like, okay, I think we have proven because for years it was getting close and Anchor Bay was going to release it. And, and it wasn't until that screening, then the Scream Factory release came out and they put it out. And then Lionsgate yeah. just puts it out on their own now. But there was so much interest and so much push for years to get it out. Um, but forever, I had the VHS. And my own little tidbit with that was I, so I, I review Blu-rays and the Halloween set came across my thing. I was like, okay, I want this, whatever. I, I saw a thing in my mail. It was, we're sending you. And I was like, oh, here it comes. I open up. There's an envelope. It was, the package was an envelope. I'm like, okay. And it was just a disc. And it was Halloween 6 producers cut. And I was like, you mother, you're going to, that's it. That's all you're sending me, a disc. <laughs> and I was like, and I stopped for a moment. And I said, you know what? I can either cry about this. Or I can hurry up, pop it in, get my review up and be the first person to have it up because this is big. And I did it. And it was like one of the, I think it, it was at the time, I don't know if we passed it, but it was the most popular, uh, heaviest traffic on Why So Blue's site. And I was going to random nice. message boards and people were quoting me, taking my my screen caps and be like, look at That's this, awesome, oh my man. gosh. So I felt I added myself to a little bit of the, so the history was, of that. Like after you done the VHS of it. I've had the VHS since like 96 and then I got the Blu-ray back when that set came out and I think 2014 or something like What's that. What's the story of the VHS though? Like how did they acquire that print of it to VHS? There, no, Nobody knows how it got out there. Like somebody was pissed that were usually you disgruntled parties leak them out there on purpose. If you can get five VHS tapes out there, it's going to become 20. 40 and people will see the film that they wanted them to see. There was rumor that it was Dan Farrens that did it, but he, he says, no, he said, no, he wasn't that bitter at all. He had a horrible experience on his first big film, but uh, he says it wasn't him. Um, but nobody, nobody knows how it got out there. It could have been someone was who Paul was just Steven Rudd. in the chem lab. 
Yeah. Paul Stephen Rudd. He shank himself like Ant-Man. And like... There you go. Which he's been trying to do something for Halloween again for years. He actually... Um, he actually was going to be on a horror hound convention for a Halloween six reunion panel. And it got his appearance got canned within four hours. Cause Marvel said, Nope. Oh, that Dang. sucks. And so people, people were mad. They thought they were the horror hound was full of crap. And they were like, no, it was, it was real, but Marvel yoinked it. He wanted to do, a, he's been trying to do something with Halloween. He was, they actually went to him. I, I have read that to be Tommy Doyle in the newest one, but he wasn't, schedule could not align so yeah i read about that he he was actually willing to come mm-hmm. back and and reprise that role which i think would have been yeah. really cool right that would have been so wild yeah originally yeah. they wanted the 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 guy who played tommy doyle from the original halloween to be in the movie but they he the guy didn't have an agent so they couldn't look that's what him. they told him that's oh that's what they, what they <laughs> that's what they told him "Quote unquote," oh. didn't have I've an heard, agent. I, I've I've heard some things about that guy's personality. That, oh. um, yeah, I've heard some it, things. So, um, not to dog because, him. I don't know him, but because they actually got the girl who played Lindsay Wallace, right? She's actually going to reprise right. her role in Halloween Kills, right? Yeah, because she's one of those real housewives that'll sell extra tickets. <laughs> you know, there you go. There you go. So, um, I, you know, because yeah. because it. Everything I read into deep doing a deep dive on the the producer's cut, it's almost like this thing was the white whale, you know, like you couldn't find it or somebody had it or, you know, it was just like this buried treasure. Like it would have been like Nicolas Cage's next movie trying to find this thing and then the origin of it. You know, I'm still figuring out what to do with life now that I have this. So uh, the clean copy. I don't know. (laughs) Like it's actually so uh, last year was the 25th anniversary of this movie. And I wrote uh, an article to celebrate because who? I'll be the one guy that celebrates. Uh, you should be the one to write it, man. Uh, and it was it wasn't so much a tribute to Halloween Six, but it was a tribute to the other films that are white whales that we haven't seen. It re, you know, come to the surface, uh, different cuts of uh, movie that exist that no one's put out there. Um, famously, the cut of Annie Hall is a fraction of what that movie actually was. So. Um, till wow. Mr. Allen passes, we'll never probably see the full cut of that movie. But it was That's crazy. Like, like the Annie Hall portion is a was a segment of that movie, and then after watching it, uh, they said that's your movie. Go film some more with her. Cut it this way. Boom. Because like, um, oh, what's her name? Uh, Shelley Duvall was in it much more. Um, and a lot of the other characters. And there's like a whole dream sequence. Like it's it was called uh, Anhedonia is the actual and he yeah so his most his crowning achievement he does not like and is embarrassed by but that's one of the bigger cuts uh films there's there's other ones too but there's yeah there's other mysterious ones Ooh, like around. what i want to know more uh let me let me see i think i pulled this article up for my quick reference terrible podcasting no, here no, now. It's okay. but, um, Sorry, i did a lot of reshuffling oh, just now in this moment that we're probably gonna cut because okay. i had to like i was like hunched over and my neck was hurting i was like I, i'm dying <laughs> uh there's a the, the original cut of frankenstein meets the wolfman um hmm. bella lugosi talked he had his igor voice uh it's noted that the character is blind that they don't trend they don't tell you in the film uh but when they tested it with audiences they were laughing at his accent um, cause he was, cause in the previous film, he's Igor and Igor gets his brain mm. put in the monster and the monster's Igor. Uh, there's, uh, of course, you know what? 
my thing was talking about one. Oh, there's Solo, Star well, Wars yeah. story, the Lord and Miller footage. That's listen, more recent one. Uh, I mean, <laughs> no, no beef against y'all Snyder fans. I have many friends who are Snyder fans. I am a horror Snyder fan. Um, <laughs> he is like my Rob Zombie in a way, I guess, uh, with the zombies. Um, I'm actually really stuck. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to try to see Army of the Dead in theaters. That's how I'm like, I'm there. I want to see on the big screen. Um, but yep. like after y'all got that Snyder cut, I was like, listen, I am a Lord and Miller, like just fangirl since Cloudy with a Chance mm-hmm. of Meatballs. Like I need right. to see the solo like cut. I need it. Like, please. Why can't we campaign for this? Mm-hmm. Especially after Air was like Air cut. I was like, no. Just <laughs> 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 sit down, sir. We Disney fans, we need our solo Lord and Miller cut. <laughs> Dang. Well, what you can... What you can get now is like a, a Donner cut, like Superman two had since mm-hmm. Howard finished the yeah. movie. Because what's his name? Oh, a guy from The Wire is in the Lord and Miller cut. Like he was replaced by Paul Bettany. Like you have a whole actor playing that part that's not in there. And I, but you know, Disney Star Wars likes to act like no problems ever happened on their sets. Nothing ever changed. Like there's another cut of The Force Awakens out there. I don't want to. I I know there's probably stuff with rise of skywalker the way that movie oh, came together sure. but but and rogue one has a different finale um sitting on the floor i, but, I still want to see that because i love rogue one so much mm-hmm. and maybe you don't have to make a whole new cut of the movie maybe give us the footage you know like we don't need to wait 20 years or whatever but i i if you give people that stuff off the bat like as a mm-hmm. bonus feature and don't lie or and be like, like we have special. to put Tony Gilroy came and we were really good pals and he took over my film and it was really cool. No, just give people it from the bat. Say, hey, we, we decided to go in this direction and da da da, but this is where we were originally. And then they don't demand it. If you hide it from them, it becomes it, the myth grows. The myth, and then you get the Snyder cut. Yeah. I mean, like, I think Disney is leaving so much money on the table, to be honest, in that regard, because oh, yeah. I might know the truth about the Black Panther four hour cut. And mm. I think it would be such an incredible way to honor the memory of, you yeah. know, Chadwick Boseman. If if that were to, you know, be released in a way before Wakanda yeah. forever, you know, like yeah. give us that in the meantime, por favor. <laughs> yeah. Like what? Why not? They act like those things are they're, they're trying to act like those franchises are infallible right now because they make a lot of money. But. Come on, there's even the original Star Wars, man. It like took forever to get the Bigs Darklighters footage and uh, you know the original Jabba scene and all the like. There's yeah. all the the Anchorhead stuff, like and the the Sandstorm from Jedi. Like, mm-hmm. why not? Like, what are you holding back, George? Like, why'd you you know? With as many times as they've re-released and re-released and re-released with special mm-hmm. effects, it's amazing that they haven't tried to. Do something like this where you right. pull the original footage and just say, here you go. Because that's the thing with, with with the fan bases nowadays, with the culture. It's like everyone is either like a fan of this version of the movie or that version of the movie. At the end of the day, we're all fans of it. So mm-hmm. somebody yeah. is going to enjoy those each cut no matter who it is. Right. Now there's places to put them, too. You know, we're like. Yeah. They're not going to be printing a bunch necessarily, although I think Justice League was just announced, right, as being will, will be released on Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It'll mm-hmm. be, it's overseas, yeah. available overseas on 4K, which is so region cool. free if you're 4K. And, you know, like and, and, and tying it back to Halloween, you know, where 
Zack Snyder's Justice League definitely leaned more into his sort of uh, want to have this superhero genre go and lean into the mythology aspect of things you know, in the same sort of way mm-hmm. that the original intention of Halloween 6 was to be like, no, this is like mythology, like a horror modern day mashup of mythology and, and right. like this killer and why they exist. So, you know, like, yeah, yeah like. And we, we, we kind of get here with Halloween because and I so you guys weren't as big on it, but I'm a huge Halloween four fan. Love Halloween four. Good 10 year anniversary film. But a lot of people are like, oh, well, they did that stupid thing. Or the, now it's cool to say it's dumb. People kind of liked it back then that Lori and Michael were brother and sister. And they're like, oh, okay. So, that, uh. but the one that cements that he only kills his family is when part four confirms that's all he does. And then you lead to, well, why is he do that? Or, and then you add a mystery person connection. And then this one has to like tell you about it. Yeah. And like the the idea of like how in, in other drafts uh, they were like, oh, no, the reason why the people like the, the, sort of that concept that was like left on the table of Haddonfield being in on it because we want to allow him to kill his family so he won't kill us, you know, mm-hmm. which is why he's been killing Haddonfield residents because he can't get to his sister. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was supposed to be the whole town was in on it. Um, but they said, just make the Smith Grove people. Because uh, I like the creepiness of the Mrs. Blankenship character. That's something that works here when oh, she tells sure. the story. And they set that's like they set that on the trailer to it with Tommy walking all slow. I'm like, oh, it's so cool. Um, as I said, I was hyped for this movie, so I remember the marketing well. I feel uh, like she was not, uh, inspired by Granny Goodness. I just want to put that out there. There you go. <laughs> I, I, I did not buy a Brother Kane CD. I, I didn't. Uh, the, the Alice in Chains knockoff band that they have here playing in the theatrical cut. Uh but she's really good with that lore. Like, there's something. There's like the problem. With Halloween Six is it doesn't work. But you're so mad because it's like this looks like a good movie. It feels like there's some great ideas here. The kills aren't bad. I mean, uh, the kills are more gory in the theatrical cut because they hired John Carl Beekler to come in and fix up some stuff. Uh, like for instance, that guy, the the towny dude at the beginning, that's like, what are you doing in the rain? Like he just gets his neck snapped in the uh, producer's cut. In the theatrical cut, you get a close up of his spine hanging out. Uh, but they also in the theatrical cuts, there's a weird thing where they're like, hired George Wilbur because people liked Halloween Four, so like, let's get that Michael Myers back. Well, he gained a bit of weight in that time, and then when the reshoots come, they're like, we're not using George Wilbur, we're using Michael Lerner. And George Wilbur's going to play like, still do stunts on this thing and play like, uh, I think he played the guy who got his head smashed through the, the gate. But like, Michael gets thinner <laughs> later in, in the reshoots of the movie and in the barn when he pushes her on the farm equipment. But seriously, the mask looks better um, here. But yeah, there's so much. I mean, like, like, it's, you got so much going for I you. I did like John's death then, in, in the theatrical cut the best. That head explosions great. are awesome. People hate fans hated that forever. Like it's so stupid. I'm like head explosions are awesome. Okay, like he was the worst from the start, and I was like, I need this man to oh, die. Yeah. And when he did not die that way in the producers cut, I was like, this is anticlimactic. Can I can I <laughs> can I praise Bradford English? How did this guy not have a bigger career? Like he is like I like to fans like iconic. Like he's just like you hate that. Like this is this is a the well, role. He looks, he looks yeah. like yeah. He yeah, like he's Thomas. To me. This yeah. should have been yeah. Thomas F. Yeah. Wilson, and he's like, "Enough of this, Michael Myers." 
bullshit. And then he's like, and then his just everything. And the the audacity to move his family into the Myers right. house because he couldn't sell it. Like, right. Whoop. I only see one bastard in this house. Like, I love the. Ex- oh, oh my man. gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, Deborah. Give her all our money. <laughs> Even that bastard. Like, this guy is great at he being is, terrible. Yeah. Yeah. He and was. I just, yeah. Ultimate guy you wanted to see die at the hands of Michael Myers. Like, yeah. like he's one of those deaths that when it happened, you're like, oh, that's satisfying. That wasn't like, right. oh, Michael killed somebody. You know? He shows up home <laughs> drunk, like running into the. Tra- like, oh, it's great. Like, yeah, they've got some powerhouse. tucked in. <laughs> yeah. They've got some real power in the performance. Like, uh, Dr. Wood, Mitch Ryan, that's no slouch. That's like yeah. a get. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, he was in Magnum Force, Dharma and Greg, uh, Gross Point Blank. Like, a couple years later, Gross Point Blank. But, like, he's, you know, Dr. Wynn, because... I love Gross Point Blank. <laughs> it's one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, yeah. Like, it's just... Yeah, and it just follows odd lot like the bus depot back in five, but nobody's at the bus stop. Nobody heard the baby the whole I, night. There's till, blood too. Like I was re- when I was rewatching that, I'm watching it going, how is it nobody saw the blood? Like, and it's not like it's like a little like like you know splatter. Like it's a pretty good link, pretty good amount of blood mm-hmm. that's in the telephone booth where Jamie was trying to make her phone call. You know, right. yeah. <laughs> And then there's there's the whole when he runs into Dr. Loomis in the hospital with the baby and he's like, well, what's going on here? And he's like, I can't reveal. And he's like, I can't reveal anything. Meet me at the rally tonight. Like, <laughs> just tell me. Like the baby is in <laughs> Talk arm. about this. Oh, I'm with man. the police. Like, hey, get me a doctor now. Like, oh. Love. Oh, also, do you know the background onto why the baby is named Steven? Because I, I just like internally was like, did Paul Red name this child after himself? Well, I know the, the, the Strode parents are John and John Deborah and after John mm-hmm. Carpenter and Deborah Hill, but Steven, yeah. Paul Steven Rudd. That could have been, I, that could very well be it. Yeah, he gave the Steven to the baby and he never had Paul Rudd again, which they fixed that credit on the producer's cut Blu ray. It says just Paul Rudd. I'm like, no, no, it was his Paul. It's Paul Steven Rudd on this. <laughs> but yeah, like, yeah, it's, yeah, it's just mind boggling with the, the runes. Like either you go with the runes oh, or you man. don't. There's, yeah. there's metaphysical people. There's people that hate metaphysical physical stuff and that I find, I can find when used right. It could be a really haunting thing because I don't need things to play by the logic of earth in the human realm. Like I find like there's that Lucio Fulci movie, the beyond, which I, initially hated when I was growing up, but now I love it. And I love his ideal of, he's like, why does a parallel universe have to follow earth rules? Like why? And that's what he was exploring with that movie. It's kind of hard to understand. People think it's hackneyed, blah, 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 crap. But when you get in the real ideology of what he intended to explore, it's actually really haunting. Like I like the end of the mist when they're driving and there's just those random, like what, like what are those things? That's creepy. Kind of like that. This movie, not so successful at that when he has his little circle and, it's it's I guess it's pronounced Sawain, but everybody in Halloween calls it Sam Hain. If I don't say Sam Hain, nobody will stop. Yeah. Nobody will stop what they're doing oh at that gosh. moment. And just... It's so <laughs> challenging. Yeah, but yeah, so I yeah. guess unlike the Evil Dead, uh, the Necronomicon, you can mispronounce stuff and get the good effect for it. So, and I'd be hard pressed not to talk about Paul Rudd's character before we we finish off here. But um, what do you guys think about him leaning into his George McFly impression? Uh, only uh, he just lives across the street instead of he's, instead of uh, hanging out on a branch. Yeah, <laughs> what was the decision there? Why? Yeah, it's like it's like George McFly meets Rear it's, Window. It's trying to set up the Rear because, Window yeah. meets Stranger when the Stranger Calls bit, 
Um, which is a good kill, which is really cool. I don't know which version I like better, uh, the one with the impact or just from the perspective. But uh, Fred Walton was supposed to direct this at one point, and he was, and Daniel Ferens wrote that in there to have a win of Stranger Calls uh, nod right there for him, and then he left the movie. Like, well, I, I guess he was. They sold Ferens that this guy was directing, and then Fred Walton's like, I had two meetings, and I just wasn't into it. So, um, but. Yeah, so that was there. But Paul Rudd, creepy guy. Uh, I, I think he. I, I went through periods where I thought he was awesome when I first saw this movie as a thirteen-year-old. Then I thought I was like, "Is this a really bad performance?" But then I see some like interesting takes on mental illness and trauma being displayed. So I'm like, "Is he channeling something that is just he's all in?" Yeah, I thought he he was trying to channel something with trauma when he tries to act like a normal person. He's like, "Did a bus arrive from Pontiac tonight?" And like, I remember when he's like, talking on the phone, like he has this oh yeah. drawl to him that it's like, I'm like, is that how he really talks? Or is he just mm-hmm. like working this up right now for the radio guy? Which is weird because he shot this before Clueless. Clueless came out first and then he had this. But before he could enjoy this, he had to go through reshoots that he was confused as to why the hell he was doing them. And because uh, he was really mad that they were messing with Daniel Farron's script. The plot, the plot thickens. thickens. He definitely yeah. leaked it. Yeah, it's wow. Paul Rudd. No, if I ever see him. Paul Rudd. And then <laughs> jo- Joe Chappelle's got an interesting journey, too. He shoots this movie, which is deemed a mess by the studio, who sends him to go fix Hellraiser Bloodline. And then he comes back to shoot more of this. Like, really weird. Um, it was weird. Like they, And it sounds like that was like a wreck, too. Like, that was a whole mess in itself. It was, Hellraiser Bloodline was. Look at the common ground of the Weinsteins calling something a wreck <laughs> that people actually like the idea or the... They're, they're, I don't think there's enough footage to make the right cut of Hellraiser. There would have to be, like, insert cards to explain what was going on. But Hellraiser Bloodline was supposed to travel through um, history of the box in Hellraiser and they didn't like that. Didn't get to the cool stuff enough. So they then said, we are, they recut it, reshot it to make it more space focused. That was supposed to be a big surprise in the end. It wasn't supposed to be in the trailers. It wasn't supposed to be the marketing thing. It was supposed to be the history of the box leading up to the building being from part three, the cliffhanger being a main portion and then surprise you're going to space. Um, But they wanted the space stuff. So it became an anthology looking tale. He shot that Uh, Adam Scott, Hellraiser alumni in that movie. Um, but he comes back to this and you can see some of the Hellraiser sensibilities there. I know they said they wanted to mimic some X-Files stuff with the reshoots too. Uh, the baby stuff's really confusing. Um, but yeah, the Paul Rudd, yeah, that dude and Joe <laughs> Chappelle, interesting stuff. But Chappelle goes on. I mean, he, he did a ton of episodes from my favorite shows, Fringe. Um, mm. And he did like CSI Miami. He's had a real good, he just doesn't, He's not an interview guy. He won't talk about this. He won't talk about anything, but yeah, he won't I, talk about this movie. I read I read something that he completely is detached from this from this movie. Like he does not want this thing. Like even though it's in his filmography, he does want he he's distanced himself so far from it that he wants absolutely nothing to do with it even after all these years. Yeah, he had a bad experience and it was like, you know, he he probably had other options after it because his independent film was really popular, I think, from my hear Buzzy. It was probably the Buzzy thing, and he probably had some options, and he took the wrong one. Or I think 
I think he did okay with what he was given. I mean, he didn't yeah. write the script. He yeah. did what he was told. It looks, like I said, aesthetically, this thing looks really pleasing. It looks like Midwest fall. It's Utah, but it looks Midwest fall. Uh, he gets a lot, this suspense sequence. When Kara goes to the house after the rear window kill, that's great stuff. I like that a lot. Um, the bus stop, even though the logic of why is there nobody in, there was nobody in hospitals before in Halloween, so there could be nobody at the bus stop. The way he shoots that, really, really cool. Um, he's got some good stuff in there, uh, but overall, the movie just as a whole, whole unit has its problems. Doesn't doesn't yeah. work too well. I totally agree. Totally agree. You know, before we we finish things off here, I, I did want to I did want to end with, do you guys have a favorite cut of a movie that you got to see that was released um, that was not the theatrical release? I have one. Um... And I actually didn't see it until recently. So I I think I talked about this in one of our earlier episodes where I had never seen Little Shop of Horrors growing up because I had I had friends who were in theater. So they were in productions of it. So I like either was in a different production at the same time. But because we were like in the same classrooms and stuff, I knew the ending. It was spoiled for me. So it as a movie, it took like a like a like a like a step back in my priority list of seeing the movie. Right. So last Halloween on HBO Max, uh, when it was streaming for the like on on that um, app, um, my husband was really excited to show it to me because he really likes Little Shop. And I was like, well, I know the ending. So, okay, let's just watch it. Sure, let's do this. And we watched it. And I think I already told the story in the other podcast where basically he had only seen the theatrical cut of Little Shop. So when it ended, I was like, that's not the ending. And he was like, yeah, that's the ending. And I was like, no, that's that's not the ending. There's like a alien invasion and stuff. And I and I'd known about the director's cut. So I didn't like I didn't know that there were two cuts for whatever hmm. reason. And so it was a really fun discovery for us to kind of like find the director's cut, which is really stupidly placed on HBO Max. Like you have to go to this like weird tab to like find the director's cut a little shop. And then, yeah. So then we saw like that ending and I, I much prefer the director's uh, cut of little shop of horrors with the, with the very dark ending. Awesome. What about you, Brandon? Do you have a favorite cut of a movie? Would it be this one? Would it be uh, the this one's cut? been with me for so long? But I'll so I'll drop something else. And I, like, um, I'd say like probably like Kingdom of Heaven. Have you seen the? It's like like a it's a terrific movie in the longer cut. Um, like double the length, uh, less choppy. Uh, one of Ridley Scott's best films, actually, as as the director's cut uh, or extended. I don't know what they deemed it there, but. Um, he does that a lot. Like Blade Runner, of course, is I prefer the trying to think of others too. Yeah, Blade Runner for sure. He messes with his films a lot. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like Kingdom of Heaven is one that really made a big difference for me. Oh, Doctor Sleep recently. I <gasps> oh, I haven't seen that one yet. I, I've been meaning to. So I saw it theatrically, and I wasn't too enamored with it. But I was, I had some life things going on, so maybe blame it on that at the time. And then I I watched the director's cut when it came out on a. It's a they didn't put it on a 4K disc. They put it on as 4K as a digital copy on the disc. But I watched that and I was really taken with it as the longer cut. And I was like, I was go smack myself from months ago who didn't care for it too much when you saw it in the theater. But I really liked that director's cut of that quite a bit. Very cool. Very cool. Um, I've I've, I've actually always enjoyed the Donner cut of Superman too. Oh yeah. Um, to me, it, it explains a whole lot more. Um, it kind of sticks to more of the Superman mythology that I like. So I've always enjoyed that. It's unfortunate that what happened happened with uh, Donner getting canned. 
um, in the middle of production and then, you know, um, Lester finishing off the, the movie. But, um, yeah, I've always liked Superman 2, Donner Cut. And, and then obviously I, I, I enjoy the Zack Snyder Justice League um, much more than the original Justice League. Like, I, I have to give it to Sabina. She she nailed it when she said him leaning into more of the mythology, I think, is what I, I loved about uh, Justice Zack Snyder's Justice League. So, Well, it's, it's always good or bad. It's always great to just let someone go for it. Yeah. I, like, know? I appreciate exactly. that. Just. I'll just stand back and whether you succeed or fail, it, yeah. it's worth it. I think, you know, when they say all in, he really went all in with all that. So, so I did appreciate that. Just like they tried to go all in with the producer's cut of Halloween six, uh, the curse of Michael Myers. <laughs> uh, yeah. You've got one coming up. That's an all in type movie from a director. So. Which, which one are we talking about? Which uh, director's cut of Rob Zombie's Halloween two. Oh boy. Oh, oh, yes, oh, oh, oh yes. Remember? Yes, yes. Like I'm gonna, we are gonna revisit our like Isabella like um conversation where we had where it was like you know because obviously our 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 pre existing biases mm-hmm. about the Rob Zombie films you know I think are now colored mm-hmm. a lot differently yeah. after Zack Snyder's True, they are. They are. I'll, 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 t- <laughs> I'll, t- I'll tell you a weirdo fandom thing of mine. My. Pretty much, like on most days, my second favorite Halloween film of all is his second one, the director's hmm. cut. Okay, I, I'm excited to actually watch this now. Like, I'm getting more excited. I think prior to this, I was just eh, but because me and Sabine have been doing this, and the more people we talk to about the different cuts, like mm-hmm. it's get it gets me more excited about um, watching this and, and keeping more of an open mind to what he did with his interpretation of of, of Michael Myers. So it, it you need years beyond because I was. Chinese theater opening night, his Halloween, leaving in like tears. Like, what did he do to my franchise? <laughs> and I was so, so I was, uh, I was so bummed that night. I was at the beauty bar uh, with my friends and you're talking to this girl, like tell her about Halloween or whatever. And he was talking about something that happened to us on Halloween, like the previous year. And I was like, oh, I oh, oh, was no. terrible. You know, there's like white trash people. They're like in the beauty bar. I'm like, no. <laughs> like with michael myers he's like dude i was talking about i was like oh i was so bummed i worked i worked with weinstein in the home video side they called me with some notes from rob about the dvd and i was like "Eh," like no matter what i'm like i'm gonna end up buying it because i collect everything anyway and she's like what you didn't you didn't like it i'm like no i didn't like it and then you're gonna get my money because of like she's like I'll send you a copy. <laughs> send me a copy <laughs> of it. So I didn't have to pay. But going through years and learning that it says Rob Zombie's name above it and not John Carpenter. And I need to take, you need to take it as that. Mm. And also, mm-hmm. I think an important film to kind of see and get in like a, a vibe, but not so much a influence, but a vibe uh, before going to see Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. That's a vibe that I get. I never see it referenced as an influence or something on that film. But it's a vibe that they both kind of have. And if you see what he's see him on that level, it's effective. But I think he still f- kind of fails with it because it's a studio back and forth with that one. And then the second one, he kind of gets to do what he wants. It's crazy. It's Lynchian. It's wild. And I, I, I love it. And it and it does the trauma thing more cutthroat than the new one did. Like the new one's all like, we're, we're talking about dealing with trauma. I'm like, Rob Zombie just did that. And you guys crucified him for it. But. You'll see. You'll see. Yeah, I'm definitely excited to check that out. I know Sabina's too. We're gonna have fun uh, talking about about these two as we as we approach Rob Zombie's Halloween and get out of the uh, 
the verse we're in right now, which was the the mini trilogy they had for for Halloween. Are you, are you enjoying this? Like choose your own. Like Halloween is the choose your own really? adventure franchise. Oh, it absolutely oh, is. Sure. It, it is. absolutely is. And I, and, you know, I, I think I've kind of over the years watching these movies over and over again. Like I, I know which ones I want to watch. You know, like you know the 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 choose adventure, the path I want to go to. You know, I'm like, oh, if I feel like I'm in this mood. If I want to watch the Jamie Lloyd trilogy, I'll go through this. If mm-hmm. I want to watch just the H2O trilogy, you're going to do this. If I want to go back and if I just want to rewatch what, you know, uh, uh, Blumhouse is doing with Halloween, I'll, I'll just watch that and get ready for Halloween Kills and yeah. and the trilogy they're setting up. So and you got the uh, Dean really, Cundy trilogy. You yeah, got, exactly. Yes. Yeah. I can't yes. watch Halloween four and not watch one. Halloween five. Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know why. Like, yeah. I don't even... Like Halloween fives at the bottom is not the bottom is but it hangs low. But I'm like, if I watch Halloween four, I gotta watch Halloween five. They go together for some reason. Um, you can, yeah, you watch one, two, H two O, because and you stop there. You don't have to keep going, but if you want to, there's that one. In the, there's that <laughs> well, we one in the to, house. We kind of have to watch Resurrection. So I do so own we're... a I I own a Dangertainment shirt just. Just saying. I just got one. Is that bad? Is that bad? <laughs> the bad is part bad? is it says the title of the movie on it the back. On so the it's back. like, I got to wear a hoodie with it when I go around. I'm like, dangerous statement. So, yeah. Oh, good. man. Oh, that's going to be fun. Actually, our editor, Casey, Mr. Casey Franco, he's going to be on that one with us. So that'll be oh, fun. Awesome. To, yeah, that'll be that'll be a lot of fun to talk about. That'll be a lot of fun. So, which is wild because he hasn't I know, seen anything. I know he's of going them, right? in totally but like to do that blank one? to this, which is probably going to be hilarious to, to hear his thoughts on this because he wanted to join us on the most wild one there is. And this Halloween Resurrection truly is a wild, completely out of the canon Michael Myers movie. You know, it does it does something right though. It We're, goes away from it, stalking it, family it members. It does. It Listen. does. It does. I'm excited. I feel like we we should try two guests at some point because I'm starting to get people who are like listening to us and they're like, "We want to do it." And I'm like, "I'm, I'm running out of slots," <laughs> and I want people to come yeah. back too. So we should like maybe attempt to two. You never know. We, we might be able through. to do that actually with my new schedule. <laughs> I'll, I'll talk to you for sure about that. But um, uh, yeah. yeah. But um, you know, Brandon, thank you for joining us on this oh, episode no. because pleasure is all mine. Thank you. So uh, yeah, much. I was, I want to tell our listeners, you know, we've been kind of emailing each other back and forth over the last few days and his energy in these emails, like I was just <laughs> getting pumped reading his emails going, oh man, we got the right guy for this episode because, you know, I, he has a thorn tattoo. tattoo. Not yet. Not yet. He's, no, you not yet. <laughs> you did no, I don't th- well, I have a plan for a tattoo scheme and the thorn would be involved in it. So of things I like, but yeah, I don't have a thorn tattoo nice. yet. I, find, I did, I did um, draw one when I was in high school. It's like, <laughs> oh, that's too good. That's too funny. Amazing. Um, oh man, but yeah, thank you for coming on, and and this was thank such you. a blast. Um, and you know, we'll definitely be talking soon. I mean, you love Escape from New York. I might have to do like a special episode just about that, and then talk okay. to you because I know that that would be a lot of fun. Yeah. Um. Uh. But uh, again, Brandon, let everyone know uh, where to find you. You can find me. Uh, the socials I'm at Brandon for K U H D and then uh, the Brandon Peter show.com is the site that houses my podcast, but it is available everywhere. Podcasts are found, you know, Apple, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google, you name it. It's there unless it's, um, SoundCloud. It's not there. 
Um, <laughs> but yeah, so you can listen to it there. Uh, I have stuff dropping all throughout the week. Sabina's been on a pair of episodes and she'll be coming back the next time I have planned for her to talk go because she oh. set herself up for that before. <laughs> Wait, go, go? I did. Are we talking like 99 go? Oh my God. I love that movie so much. I can't wait to hear that. That's going to so, be fun. So there's um, that, but yeah, so awesome. you can find there and then bring us both <laughs> into <All right>. that. <laughs> yes, we'll do that. We'll cross promote. Yes. We'll do that. Yeah, no, that came up because uh, when I did the soundtrack episode, um, I had pulled uh, New by No Doubt as one of my favorite soundtrack songs from a movie I'd never seen. Oh, wait. So you'd heard the song before you saw the movie. She's never seen the movie. Oh, yeah, my wait, favorite, you've never seen yeah, Go? Yeah, I've never seen the movie. Oh, my goodness. I've never seen Go, but um, so my favorite No Doubt album is Return of Saturn, and oh, New is on Return of Saturn, yeah. but the music mm-hmm. video for New, it takes place, I guess, in the movie mm-hmm. or something? Yeah, so that's the most I've seen of Go is whatever is in the No Doubt music video. Your mind's going to be blown by how many people are in that movie that are like, you know acting now like it's just like it's a, it's a stellar cast and i love that movie and i it's very it's very influenced by i think tarantino and that style yeah. and 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 i maybe that's one of the reasons i love it because it does follow like the pulp fiction mm-hmm. that whole time period it's one of the best ones that do that yeah yeah and it was so executed so well like i i never get sick of that movie you know mm-hmm. I, it's, it's such a good movie but um I, I'm rambling on here about a completely different <laughs> subgenre of film, but um, we can just we'll go ahead and just end the podcast here, Sabine, because this is a lot of fun. <laughs> you can um, you can find me on um, Twitter at Pacing Pete, Instagram at Pacing Pete, and our podcast uh, our podcast Halloween uh, Never Dies on Instagram as well as Twitter. Um, Sabina, let everyone know where to find you and sign us off. Oh, first, first, you can find me on Instagram at that lady graves. And on Twitter at Sabina has no R. Um, yeah, no, we're we're always just like hanging out on social and like sharing all these Halloween things. I'm always constantly sending Pete Halloween memes, which are hilarious. <laughs> the 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 existence of them just pleases me, especially the Mariah Carey Michael Myers one. I just I, I it's <laughs> awful, but it's just also it's hilarious. <laughs> but yeah, so you know, just that just goes to show that Halloween is everywhere. It is we're all so hyped for this year for Halloween to come back as a season. We're gonna go so hard this Halloween because Halloween never dies. <laughs>